0: You're listening to GlendaleCC.org and to the Glendale Christian KY podcast on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. We hope that this message encourages you in your walk to love and follow Jesus. Thank you for listening. Hello and thanks for joining us today for our online worship. We're so glad that you have joined us and that you're engaging and participating with us in this format. Today we're continuing with our series Growing Down that we've been in for the last few weeks. And over the last couple of weeks we've been asking the question, what does it look like to be an adult? And what if the things that make us an effective adult in our community and in our society are actually the same things that keep us from Jesus and the kingdom of God? Today we're going to be talking about another shift that we can make in another area of life where we can choose to grow down in so that we can ultimately grow up in Jesus. Children are are public people. If you've spent much time around them, you know this to be true. Uh, chances are they've told you about everything from their favorite game to what bodily function they thinks the funniest. A, a preacher friend of mine tells a story about a time when his children were young and he had taken them to a public pool there in his community. And so one of his kids was was still in diapers. His youngest son was, was still in diapers. And so that meant that at the pool, his youngest son was wearing one of those swim diapers. Now, if if you're not familiar with what a swim diaper is, you need to know that it's basically the equivalent of a toddler's straitjacket. Those things are next to impossible to navigate, especially when they're wet. They're they're hard to, to remove from your kids, and they are, as bad as they are, a necessary evil to avoid that public pool accident. And so my friend says that he'd been at the pool for about an hour or so when his youngest son needed to go to the bathroom. And maybe the only thing worse than public pools is public pool bathrooms and so instead of jumping out of the pool right at that moment to take his son to the bathroom he asked his son if he could wait a little longer he couldn't and he said he had to go right right then and so that dad did what i think most every other dad in that situation has done or would do he leaned down to his little boy and said well just go in the pool and the little boy said no daddy we we don't do that it that we can't do that that's gross and the dad said, well, I, I know, son, but just this one time, it'll be okay. You, you, you can go in the pool just, just this once. It'll be fine. Well, at that moment, one of his older boys wanted to show him a trick that he had just learned. He was doing a backflip or something into the pool, and so he turned his attention away from his youngest son to his oldest son to watch that. And imagine his surprise when he turned back around to his youngest son to find his youngest son on the edge of the pool, who had no problem navigating his swim diaper, swim diaper down to his knees, standing there with all of his glory, doing his business into the pool. See, no sense of privacy. And while that complete transparency can be a nightmare for parents, it is a beautiful uh, part of the innocence of childhood. No child wonders whether or not they're going to be judged for For those uh, around him, no child thinks about whether or not they're going to be made fun of if they reveal something about themselves. No, no child considers that they that nobody else might be uh, not interested in what is most interesting to them at any given moment. They they just are And, and kids are what they are, what they are, so to speak. As we grow up, though, we gravitate more and more toward a greater sense of privacy. And with that sense of privacy, while it's appropriate in a lot of cases, it's got to be held in in the tension that we were, in fact, created to live in open community with each other as children of God. If we're going to grow up in Christ, then we need to grow down in this overinflated desire for privacy, exchanging it for the kind of open transparency that comes when we know that we are fully uh, accepted and fully loved through Jesus. When, when we as God's children are convinced of this, then we'll be both full, uh, free to fully l- love and to be loved by others. If, if you go back to the very beginning of time, back to the beginning of Scripture, you find that the universe was created for the pleasure and at the spoken command of God. There was nothing... And then there was everything. With a spoken word into this formless void, stars and planets and animals and plants and everything else right down to the molecular level came into being. In reading Genesis 1, you find that as this good work of systematically creating all that we know was accomplished, the same refrain appears after each act. God saw this and it was good. And of course it was. Everything was right. All was in harmony. Everything was placed in its divinely orchestrated position. All culminating with the creation of the first man. Uniquely created in God's own image placed into this perfect garden. But it's at this point in the story of creation where the refrain begins to, to falter a little bit. While everything was good and there was one thing that was not good. It was not good for man to be alone. But soon, soon he wasn't alone. God fashioned the perfect compliment for him, woman. And God created this man and this woman in his image, which in, entails the unique need and desire and capacity for us to be in relationship. We were meant to be together, both with each other and with God. It's not by, it's not accident, I think, that in the garden, free from the perversion of sin, that Adam and Eve, this first man and first woman were naked and they felt no shame. They, they hid nothing from each other, and they hid nothing from God. There was a genuine harmony in those first few days, but it wouldn't last. Born from the lips of the lying serpent, this man and this woman believed a great and terrible lie about God. And the lie behind the words was that God did not really love them, that surely God was holding out on them. And Adam and Eve believed this terrible lie. And as a result came the first experience of two things that still plague our lives today, fear and shame. Adam said, I heard you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked, and so I hid. And that's where we remain today. The difference is that now we hide behind cleverly uh, and cleverly posed and, and worded social media posts, and, and we clothe ourselves with pleasant platitudes. The The setting and the attempts might change, but we're still there, cowering in the tree, suddenly aware of our own vulnerability. This sense of vulnerability is ironically also a part of getting older. Once upon a time, as, as children, we not only lived out in the full, full view of everyone, we also lived with a sense of immortality. We, we didn't think that we could get hurt uh, or physically or emotionally, and so nothing seemed too dangerous for us. And, and so we just lived with abandon, unapologetic for our adventures. But the years have taught us differently, haven't they? We, we have a long list of broken bones and stitches and, and scars and wounded hearts that show us just how vulnerable we really are. That's why we find ourselves hiding. Why, why we feel the need as adults to protect ourselves from anyone and anything that might bring us harm. And we spend an incredible amount of time and energy maintaining our precious privacy, all rooted in that same fear and that same shame that all of us bear in one way or another. At some level, I believe that most of us live with the fear of this question. Is today going to be the day? Is today going to be the day that I am found out? And, and by, by using the words found out, I'm not talking about some secret sin that we've been treasuring is suddenly brought to light, although many people live with that fear as well. What I'm talking about is the same sensation that Adam and Eve were coping with in the garden that with their feeble attempts to cover up their own nakedness. Most of us are walking through life in various degrees and in various situations which we feel radically unequipped and unbelievably unqualified for. And with that in mind, the, the question might start to sound a little bit more like this. Is today the day that my boss finds out that I really don't know how to run this project? Or is today the day that my kids find out that I have no idea how to parent teenagers? Is today the day that my my friends find out that I'm really not as clever as they they think I am? Is today the day that the church finds out that I really don't have any idea what I'm doing? It's a paralyzing uh, fear of being found out, of being discovered to be somehow less than what the perception of others have of you. And it's it's that feeling of wondering whether or not the next action, the next tweet, the next statement, the next post is going to be funny enough or smart enough or wise enough or clever enough or, or penetrating enough to buy us just a little bit more time. And if we're not careful, we can find ourselves devoting endless energy to making sure that our carefully crafted personas continue to withstand any scrutiny that comes its way. The remedy for our own fear and our own shame is the same one that God provided for Adam and Eve in the, in the garden. It's the gospel. It, it's in that same garden now marred by sin that we find the, the shadows uh, of the remedy for sin and all the fear and shame that comes along with it. God said this, he said, I will put hostility between you and the woman betw- and between your offspring and her offspring. He will strike your head and you will strike his heel. And then it says, the Lord God made clothing from skins for the man and his wife, and he clothed them. The the gospel is the battering ram for fear and for shame. But but fear and shame aren't broken down by inflating our egos. The gospel doesn't lie to us and tell us that, that we are as clever or as qualified or as wise or as smart or as engaging as we might appear to be. In fact, the gospel does just the opposite. The gospel reminds us that not only are we not everything that people might think that we are, we are actually much worse. There is more darkness, there is more bitterness, there is more hatred and jealousy and laziness that lurk within our souls than we would ever want to admit to ourselves, let alone admit to anybody else. And yet Jesus has died and risen again to, to forgive and to redeem that very darkness the, the gospel then drives out that fear of being found out, not by telling us that we are not that bad, but instead reminding us that from God's perspective, that there's nothing left to find out. He already knows it all. He he already knows all about us. He knows our hearts, and yet Jesus still gave himself up for us knowing what he knows about us. And if there is ever a place that, that develops and grows this type of freedom, it's got to be the church, right? The the church is where we move from privacy to authenticity. It, it it only makes sense why why that would be, since the communion of of the saints should be where we are most cognizant of our own sin. And if what unites us in the gospel is is every is believing that the gospel in the gospel that there is an inherent recognition of our own sin and our own fall, failing and our own shortcomings and our own hopelessness before God then here of all places the church should be where we feel like we have nothing to lose, right? Ironic then that the church is often where we feel the most compelled to be pridefully private. Unspoken prayer requests and I'm fine, I'm I'm just fine and bless their hearts abound, right? But when we operate at that kind of surface level of relationships with the rest of God's church, we are robbing ourselves of one of God's greatest gifts to us, each other. The Bible shows us how great this gift can be when we're willing to drop the the privacy and and live freely with one another. Here's what happened in Acts chapter 2. It says, All the believers were together and they had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. And every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number those who were being saved. These early believers knew what it meant to share. They shared everything. They shared their needs and their fears and their faith and, and their possessions. And as a result of sharing everything, more people came in to the kingdom of God. We like to share too, though, don't we? And thanks to technology, it's easier to share than ever before. But but now sharing is about posting. It's about photos and videos and statuses and, and whatever else we want to dump into the social media machine. A- every crafted photo, every captured moment, every clever moment or hot take on the hot topic of the day we have is now shareable. And we measure the value of of those photos and those moments and those statements based on how many subsequent times those things are liked and reshared. And technology has not only enabled us to share more from a volume standpoint, it's also enabled us to share higher quality things. Thanks to filters and the ease of photo taking and quick editing you can make every image uh, make sure that every image is rightly lit and that every pose is perfectly posed and every statement has just the right amount of snark and cleverness in it and we think these are our best moments these are our best statements these are our best statements all shared now i'll tell you personally i don't have a problem with that in the old days if you showed images from a vacation slideshow you wouldn't show the the images that didn't make the cut would you So so in this very public forum, there is a certain amount of discretion that is rightly applied when we choose to not dump all of our dirty laundry onto the Internet. But this new version of sharing, in which we share both in great quality and great quantity, it has to be amended when it comes to the church. In, In the church, we have a very simple and yet increasingly difficult to follow command that we find in Romans chapter 12. Here's what it says. It says, Love must be sincere. Hate what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another above yourselves. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. Be joyful in hope and patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. Share with the Lord's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. These are some very practical applications uh, of a very thorough explanation of the gospel that Paul has just gone through in the first 11 chapters of, of the book of Romans. But these commands are mostly one another in nature, meaning that they cannot be obeyed apart from a relationship with each other. Notice, though, the very last sentence of this passage. Rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. In, in the church, we cannot weep with those who we cannot weep with each other if we never know or if we never see or those who are weeping and 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 so here's where we find the rub with with our sharing in our new day of of sharing we are very liberal with our triumphs but we are very greedy with our pain and while that might pass just fine on facebook it does not do well in the church you might say, well, well, I'm a private person, and that might be the case. Or you might say, it's no one else's business, and it might not be anybody else's business. Or you might say, it's my cross to bear, and it might be your cross to bear. And yet we still find these challenging words for the church, weep with those who weep. As the people of God, we have a communal responsibility to care for each other. To, to live in obedience to that vision of the church, we must be willing to share and not just share the best of us. But butting up against this command from Scripture is, is our pride. It, it's ironic how closely fear and shame and pride walk together in our lives. We are held prisoner by, by fear and shame. And it's, it's our pride that keeps us from breaking free from those prison bars. But, but the gospel helps us to break free because we don't have to prove anything to anyone else. Jesus has fully justified us at the cross. And and the gospel allows us to bear the burdens of someone else because we don't have to feel threatened by someone else's joys and someone else's successes. Jesus has freed us to, get this, actually live free. This is one of the great things about being a child of God. It's knowing that we don't have anything left to prove to anyone else. And this is a great concept. I mean, who doesn't resonate with the idea of, of living without feeling like you have to hold something back? Or who doesn't love the vision of of life where you're not constantly afraid of being found out? But in practice, I mean, it's one thing to talk about the benefits of being free. But it's a whole other matter altogether to actually live that way. Honestly, this level of genuine authenticity, it's too much for most adults to take. It's far safer when we retreat inside of ourselves and only display that false version of ourselves that we often display online. So how do we get this? How do do we grow down in privacy so that we can grow up in authenticity? Well, let me offer one simple suggestion. I think it's by rediscovering the discipline of hospitality. Hospitality was an important quality that characterized the New Testament church. It's one that biblical writers saw the importance of. 1 Peter 4.9 says, Be hospitable to one another without complaining. Romans 12.13, we just read, it it says, Share with the saints in their needs. Pursue hospitality. Uh, Hebrews 13.2, Don't neglect to show hospitality, for by doing so some have welcomed angels and guests without even knowing it. But I'll be honest, I I struggle with that in relation to, to, to the other characteristics that the Bible tells us to pursue. Patience? Yeah, I get it. Love? Sure. Hope? Joy? Absolutely. But hospitality? Hospitality is a struggle for me pri- precisely because I have an overdeveloped sense of privacy. Like most other adults, I like my personal space and my personal thoughts and my personal time. The, the very nature of hospitality, though, requires me to share what I consider to be personal to share that with others in a very sacrificial way. And here's where the temptation comes in for me and maybe everybody else who's an introvert. We tend to think of hospitality as a, as a single action that is pursued occasionally, as if we're on some sort of quota system. You know, we, we can hit our quota or we can get our check mark for the month, and, and then we can just feel free to go back to our private lives until we feel some sort of measure of guilt again. But for the Christian, hospitality isn't just an act that's to be performed. It's a posture to be assumed. Furthermore, it's through the intentional recovery of this discipline that we find ourselves more able to live in authenticity. To to understand why that is, we need to understand what hospitality really is. While while there are certain acts like making a casserole or opening up your home that are indicative of hospitality, the characteristic itself has a much deeper meaning and, and implication than these actions do. The, the word hospitality comes from the combination of two words, the, the words love and stranger. Literally, then, hospitality is the love of strangers. And I think that's a powerful description of what the gospel is, too. When, when we were strangers and aliens, God took us in. When, when we were without a home and without a family, God brought us into his family. When, when we were without hope in the world, God adopted us as his children And in the ultimate act of hospitality, God provided a way to welcome us through the death of Jesus. Hospitality is a a characteristic that compels us to put aside our own interests and and to lay down our own desires and to welcome the needs of others above our own. Just as Jesus did with his life and his death, and just as the early church did in Acts chapter 2. Jesus, during his life, epitomized hospitality, even though he didn't have a home. Even though he didn't have any physical resources, even though he didn't have an oven or a casserole dish, Jesus practiced the core of hospitality, which is sacrificing something of your own to welcome others in. And that thing that you need to sacrifice, it might be your privacy. It also might involve your time or your resources or even an emotional investment. At the core of hospitality is welcoming others in so that their needs might be met at the expense of your own. This is why hospitality is not just a set of actions, but it's a posture of living. Why does the intentional practice of hospitality lead us to grow up in authenticity? It's, It's because when we welcome others into our lives, we find ourselves in the habit of sharing life with them as well. Through hospitality in its various forms, the body of Christ demonstrates that we are welcoming to each other, that we are willing to bear one another's burdens, and and we find ourselves increasingly operating in the freedom of authenticity that is so natural to children and yet so difficult for adults. Our our insatiable need for privacy is in large part just a mask. It's just a mask for the fear and the shame that still bind us, that still hold us prisoner. But, but as children of God, we can come out from behind those masks. We can find a God there who has clothed us in a far better way than we could ever clothe ourselves. He has clothed us with righteousness. And there, standing in the freedom of intimacy, we can finally be genuine with one another. With nothing, not not because we have nothing to hide, but because God has seen everything that we have to hide, and He loves us anyway. And so as we continue talking about some shifts in thinking, today I want to encourage you to choose to, in your thinking to to grow down in your privacy so that you can grow up in authenticity, so that you can ultimately grow up in Jesus. Because privacy might work well in, in our society and in our culture, but it doesn't work really well in the kingdom of God authenticity, transparency, genuine. That's what works well in the kingdom of God. That's what makes us good citizens of the kingdom of heaven. So would you grow down in privacy so that you might grow up in authenticity? Would you choose authenticity today over privacy? Would you choose Jesus? Let me pray for us. Father God, we love you. And we are thankful that you um, have always been vulnerable with us that you have never hid anything from us, that you have um, always been very transparent with us. And so, Father, would we relay those characteristics in, in our own life and in the church? Father, as a church, would we not be so concerned with what other people think of us and, and crafting a persona that, that only shows the best of us, but would we be people who are real, who have flaws, who, who have mis- who've made mistakes, who who bear one another's burdens and and don't have anything to hide because jesus has taken care of all of those things father would we choose authenticity father in a world that has so much fakeness to it i think what people crave and desire more than anything else is realness authenticity and so father would that start with us in the church would we be like the church in in Acts 2 that, that shared everything with one another, that shared their faith, that shared their possessions, that shared their hurts and their needs and their imperfections? And I think if we would do that, we would see the same result that they saw, that more people would be attracted to the authenticity of the church and more people would come to know Jesus as a result. And so, Father, would we not only see this as a chance to grow up in in Christ to to get rid of our privacy and to to grow up in authenticity so that we could grow up in you but would we also see this as the invitation for someone else to come to know you that we might be real people authentic people living in this world attracting other people who desire real relationships with other people but also with you Father, thank you for Jesus, and it's in his name that we pray. Amen.